we've got a, an affordable housing crisis going on. And it's not just in Toronto. It's not just in the 905. It's happening all over the country. And the NDP is pledging to build uh, 500,000 units of social housing. The Conservatives apparently are going to be um, pledging to turn huge expanses of federal property into housing. But there is something that is in the works, hopefully, fingers crossed, if Toronto's City Council, I believe, or at least uh, whoever is in charge of Toronto Housing Development, gives the green light on this. Uh, it is a uh, new housing development. It would provide 119 permanently affordable apartments in the heart of downtown Along with, um, uh, apartments that are at the, you know, condos that are, uh, priced at, 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 you know, the high prices that we're all used to playing, paying in the city of Toronto. But this new housing, housing development would be mixed income property. And at the heart of this housing development, um, is a former Toronto chief planner, Jennifer Keysmat. She is working with Marquee Developments. It's a real estate company, and she is a partner there. She joins the show to talk about what I think is a pretty great idea, and I think we should be doing more of this. It is that mixed-income property uh, in the works for the heart of downtown Toronto. Welcome to the show. Good to have you on, Jennifer. Hi, Kelly. Great to be here. So this is a project that has been in the works for about how long now? So we've been working on this. Well, oh, everything's measured by COVID, I guess now. Just before COVID, um, we started taking a look at this site. Um, it looks like a little bit of a forgotten piece of land in the city. And we looked at it and asked the question, is there a way to weave this piece of property back into the downtown and to use it to create a great place, but also to deliver more housing supply in a neighborhood that has a ton of transit, excellent parks, and there's even school capacity in this area. The The development site, it includes uh, two pieces of land spanning Sumac Street next to the John Valley Parkway ramps. On the west side, there is an isolated row of uh, Victorian houses, and uh, you're going to hopefully keep the fa- facades of these Victorian houses. And then on the east side is that crazy cube building that everybody looks at and goes, what, does somebody live there? What, what's going on with that building? Um Tell us a little bit about this. Is, is this in, um, what is this area called? So the site straddles um, the West Donlands, which mm-hmm. is where the Pan Am Games were, just adjacent to the t- distillery district. And to the north is an area ca- called Corkdown Common, which is adjacent to Regent Park, which is a little farther, which is a little farther north. So it's a site that it's right on the boundary of those two neighborhoods. And it's just east, as you mentioned, of the uh, Don Valley. So it's very close to the Foundry site, which has been really Mm -hmm. controversial, um, where there's the heritage warehouses that are now going to be preserved. And it is about a two-minute walk. It's it's right beside um, the West Onlands, the Pan Am area, where there's, you know, a massive new park. So it's also going to be very close to the new um, East Harbor development, which is a significant employment development, and it's also within a really short walk of the Portlands, where, of course, Mm -hmm. we're spending a tremendous amount of money as a city, billions of dollars, to revitalize the mouth of the Don to create developable land. So the location of this property is pretty phenomenal. And as you said, most people do know it as the Cube site. When Mm -hmm. people hear it, they go, oh, yeah, that Cube. The Cube is really interesting because it was just kind of plunked down on that site, really, because it is a leftover piece of land. And the architect always intended 
for it to be moved. And so the architect has an interest in taking the queue back. It's kind of expensive to move it, but um, the uh, we're very interested in having those conversations about it being moved somewhere else in the city if someone wants it. Um, it uh, can absolutely be be moved. It was designed for that. So let's talk about this um, this plan because it's really interesting. You're working with uh, GH3. They're a design firm, and they usually um, work with uh, with land owned by non for profits. Or is that you guys that usually work with uh, land by owned by not for profits? Well, that's us, but we have a really we have a really interesting model as a company because our mandate at Marquee Development is to address the affordable housing crisis by building housing that is affordable to middle-income earners. So what's happened over the course of the past, well, it's really become accentuated during COVID, but over the past five to 10 years, is that people earning an average salary in the city cannot afford the average rent. And that is what is creating this crisis. You can be fully employed, and yet you still can't access good, safe, stable housing. So our company was created and, you know, full disclosure, I actually had seen this model in Australia. I saw this model in New York City and I also saw it uh, in my in my travels as a planner in Vienna and Amsterdam where um, it's a model of creating uh, mixed communities. And I asked the question, why isn't this happening in the Canadian context? This is exactly what we need mm-hmm. to be driving great housing in great neighborhoods that is affordable. You know, the old model is kind of putting affordable housing on leftover land um, in the outskirts. And the new model, which we are seeking to demonstrate in this project, is that the best sites in the city should have affordable housing. Our essential workers and key workers, our young people, should have access to housing in walkable neighborhoods, near parks, near schools, near transit. And so that's the... That's kind of the foundation of our model. We work for with not-for-profit organizations, but we also, and this is an example of that, we also work with private landowners who have an mm-hmm. interest in embracing this kind of a model as well because they really care about the future of the city. So the plan involves uh, using 324 condos to subsidize 119 regulated affordable uh, apartments. You've got one that will be, you've got a public space involved in the plan. You also have a large tower involved in the plan and you'll keep the, the facade of the isolated row houses. What I'm most interested in is that you have to, um, first of all, get subsidy and you also have to jump through the hoops um, through the city's planning process. Do you think that your past position within the city will help you get the green light for this? Because it has to happen relatively quickly. Well, I think that um, I do obviously have some advantages because I know a lot of people and I really understand the processes because I used to, of course, run the planning approvals process at the City of Toronto as as the chief planner. So that is for sure an, an advantage um, to the process. But I think the biggest advantage of this application is that it represents good planning and it is consistent with the city's broader um, objectives, including the city's aggressive affordable housing targets, which the city isn't currently meeting. So the city sort of needs partners, organizations like us, that are going to assist in delivering on their affordable housing targets. Um, so I think, you know, it's good planning. I think that is the biggest asset that this application has. And yeah. it's consistent with what the city's trying to do, create great places for people to live 
that are affordable. Um, in terms of the subsidy, I don't really like using the word subsidy because it kind of apply, implies like social housing that over the long term that the government's giving money. And that's actually not this model at all. But it's a different kind of subsidy. You don't like to use the word subsidy. Can you describe uh, how, how you uh, manage to or you're going to try and manage to get this built? Well, the way the Proforma works, there's a program at the city. It's an incentive program. And it was actually designed for city-owned properties. And we've essentially um, partnered with the city to use that same incentive program in order to build the affordable units on privately owned land. So it's a little bit of a twist, but it's taking an existing program because the city has an interest, of course, Mm -hmm. in building as much affordable housing as possible and is struggling right now, quite frankly, to meet its targets. And so this is using an incentive. So that incentive, this is why subsidy isn't really the right word. It's things like there's approximately $40,000 per unit of planning fees and development charges on an affordable, uh, sorry, on any new unit that's built. So the city, as an incentive, will forgive that fee on the affordable unit. So this is actually a really good incentive to make the pro forma work in order to be able to deliver affordable housing on privately owned land. Now, when you think about it from the bigger public interest in having affordable housing, we need nurses in our cities. We need mm-hmm. we need young people. We need teachers. We need PSWs in the service industry. PSWs exactly. And so, there's a broader public interest in ensuring that the people, quite frankly, that have kept us alive during the past 12 months during the pandemic um, can access good, safe, stable housing. So there's a broader public interest in ensuring that we're providing access to this housing. And so the incentive is a way of actually getting this housing built so that people can live here. Um, It's a really good model because the incentive happens one time. There's no long-term subsidy. So the challenge, for example, with social housing is that when government changes, they reduce the funding, and all of a sudden you have affordable housing that's in a state of disrepair. Our model doesn't work like that at all because it's an incentive up front in the project, which means our projects are, our developments are very well maintained over the long term as well. Right. And when you're doing, you know, mixed unit space, of course, people that uh, have cash are going to demand that things are maintained and that is going to keep uh, you know, the building's integrity uh, intact for a longer period of time. You have people rattling the cage. Well, exactly. And you mentioned earlier that we've hired GH3, which is an award-winning architectural firm. Um, and we were very intentional about that because we believe that this needs to be a really beautiful building. It will be a mm-hmm. landmark building when you're coming from the east, entering into the downtown. It will pop up in the landscape and stand out in the landscape of the city. So it needs to be it needs to be beautiful, but we also think there's a really kind of powerful story to tell about putting affordable housing in a really beautiful building. Um, it's about human dignity, dignity. It's about the kind of city that we want to create for the future. Mm-hmm. It's. I, I want to talk very quickly before I let you go about another hurdle you got to jump over, and that's the city's zoning uh, and and the the zoning around that area. You can't reach. You can't go higher than five stories. You're planning thirty five stories. Is that right? How how can you get around that? Well, we'll go through a rezoning process, um, which is the way these types of sites um, get planned in our city currently today. There's a planning framework. 
um, the official plan um, is very supportive of what we're looking to do here because the official plan uh, supports adding a diversity of housing types, adding mixed income communities, adding housing primarily near transit so that we don't add more cars into the city. We add more people without the cars. Um, so there's the intent of the official plan is firmly supportive of what we're doing here. The zoning in the city, many parts of the city are underzoned, which is why the planning process involves going through a rezoning, which also involves community consultation, which we believe is a really good thing and will strengthen the proposal as we go through the process. So we're going to go through that process to um, hopefully get the city's approval on this development. Um, you know, I feel really strongly that this is really, really important city building that mm-hmm. will make the city um, more consistent with the values that we talk about all the time around things like inclusion, things like beauty, things like high-quality urban design, um, a really great pedestrian environment because we'll be rehabilitating Eastern Avenue, which really feels like a highway in this area. We'll be turning it more into a street. So I think the intent behind what we're doing here is very consistent with everything that this council supports. Well, here's hoping, Jennifer. It's a great plan, and I, I hope it goes through. Thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate your time. My pleasure. Thank you, Kelly. Cheers. Jennifer Keysmat, partner with Marquee Developments and former chief planner for the City of Toronto, once was a mayoral candidate.